Thanks for joining us today. We're going to do a, a little fun fact exposure today, looking at uh, 10 facts, you put quotes from the facts, about the body that we think are true but aren't quite true. As a former student of mine used to state, has it all been a lie? And so let's take a look at 10 facts of the body that aren't quite true. But before we get started, please make sure that if you are liking what we're putting out there to go ahead and click that like button and subscribe if you haven't already subscribed to help us out with the metrics. Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard or believed to be true about how the human body works and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. Fact 1. Those with more body fat have slower metabolic rates. Actually, there's no such thing as a person having a fast or a slow metabolism. And the amount of body fat does not mean that a person has a distinct type of metabolism or a speed of metabolism. What we have to remember is that metabolism is the total amount of chemical reactions necessary in order to maintain optimal function, homeostasis, for the person. When we start equating metabolism with body image, we tend to change what we mean by metabolism to only talk about energetics and fuel utilization, which is the incorrect way of looking at metabolism and looking at our overall optimal performance. Back to your blood is blue in veins and red in arteries because blood is deoxygenated in the veins. Actually, your blood is always red. The amount of red that's there is dependent upon how much oxygenation takes place. Dark red, low oxygenation. Bright red, high oxygenation. And so when we're looking at the color of blood, blood will always be red. It will go from a very kind of uh, burgundy maroon red to a very, 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 very bright red all depending upon how much oxygen happens to be there. But there's always oxygen in your blood. Blood is never deoxygenated. The amount of oxygen that we have within the veins is slower than the amount of oxygen that we have within the arteries, but there's still oxygen available. Fact three, your muscles burn and get sore from exercise because of lactic acid. Actually, your muscles do not get sore from lactic acid. Your muscle does not store lactate. The burning that you're getting from exercise is due to higher metabolic rates causing increased amounts of heat production. The soreness that you get from exercise is not from lactate, what everybody calls lactic acid, but it's from tissue being broken down to tissue damage, triggering an immune response, which causes you to get sore. It is not about lactate or lactic acid. If we look at the way in which we go about having muscle fatigue, and if we look at the way in which muscle will get sore from exercise, what we're actually looking at is we're actually looking at changes in amounts of metabolites and changes in amounts of temperature, causing a stimulus on our pain receptors, causing us to no longer want to do the exercise due to pain and soreness or due to the sense of heat. Fact four, there are right-brained and left-brained people. While we do have things that happen in the right hemisphere of the brain and things that happen in the left hemisphere of the brain, the right side and the left side, actually we don't have right-brained people or left-brained people. 
The hemispherical lateralization, the fact that we have things that occur in one side of the brain relative to the other side of the brain is not as strict as what we think. The only thing that we do know for sure is that the right side of the brain will be involved with controlling the left side of the body. And the left side of the brain will be responsible for controlling the right side of the body. Most of the other things that we associate left and right with actually occur in both sides of the brain. What ends up happening is we'll have specific types of things occurring within specific sides of the brain, but they're going to combine with each other in order to allow us to have our complex behaviors that we associate with right brain people and left brain people. Fact five, you breathe to get oxygen into the body. Actually, breathing is controlled in an attempt to get rid of carbon dioxide from the blood. And this is because the solubility of carbon dioxide in water is about 40 times that of oxygen. And all of the sensors that we have for regulating breathing is about regulating the chemistry of the blood. And so what they're going to be able to do is they're going to be able to pick up this new kind of material, this new kind of molecule that gets developed when carbon dioxide starts interacting with water, known as carbonic acid. When we start accumulating carbon dioxide in the water of the plasma, we start to develop carbonic acid. It's the carbon dioxide and the carbonic acid that makes us breathe, not a need for oxygen. Back six, you have five senses. We've been told this since kindergarten. We've been told this since preschool. Five senses, vision, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Well, actually, when we break it down, we have hundreds, if not thousands of senses. And here are just a few. We have things like olfaction, smell, gustation, taste, audition, hearing, vision, seeing, vestibular sense, sense of movement, baroreception, sense of pressure, osmoreception, sense of concentration, tactile compression sense, tactile shearing sense, chemical sensation, sense of chemicals. We have many more than just the five senses. Fact seven. You have a map for taste on your tongue. No, you don't. You do not have a map for tasting on your tongue. The adage of having the map for tasting on the tongue comes from a very poor translation of some uh, research that was done in non-English speaking countries in the late 1800s and early 1900s that got mistranslated and led to the assumption that there was a map for taste on the tongue. We do not have a map for taste. The tongue will actually use a distinct type of receptor, the gustatory complex, the taste bud, that uses a specialized type of receptor known as a population coding receptor. That population coding receptor is going to be responding to various types of chemicals. And based off of how the receptors are responding to the different types of chemicals, we will interpret the chemicals in the foods as having distinct tastes. But that does not mean that we have a distinct map on the tongue for those tastes. While there is no map for taste on the tongue, we do have a map for tasting within the areas that are responsible for perceiving taste, what's referred to as the, or the gustatory cortex, within the cerebral cortex within the brain. This gustatory cortex has distinct areas within it that associate with the bitter, salty, sour, sweet, and then what's sometimes referred to as umami, within the various foods that we're eating. And we actually have a map for that, but it does not correspond to the specific areas of the tongue 
that we tend to ascribe specific tastes to. Fact eight, cardiac drift, which is an increase in heart rate during exercise is done in response to needing more oxygen at the tissues. Actually, the change in heart rate is not about needing oxygen. It's based on the amount of blood returning to the heart within each beat that's going to change the rate that the heart is going to contract. These changes occur independent of exercise and occur independent of needing of oxygen. It's based on a relationship between heartbeat and the beat-to-beat -beat filling of the heart, what's referred to as venous return, and the amount of blood that can get moved beat-to-beat, -beat, known as stroke volume. A change in venous return will lead to a change in stroke volume, which will lead to a change in heart rate. Anytime we do any type of body positional change, we will see a change in venous return and a change, and a change in stroke volume, which will cause a change in heart rate. Anytime we have any stress, we will see a change in venous return and a change in stroke volume, which will lead to a change in heart rate. Both of these will occur independent of us actually exercising or us needing to have oxygen at the various tissues of the body. Fact nine. Vaccines are not necessary for developing immunity. Well, yes, you can skip vaccinations. I know some people don't want me to say this. You can skip vaccinations and solely obtain immunity through infection. I don't recommend it. It's not recommended by a multitude of health professionals. In fact, the consensus amongst health professionals is that vaccinations are safe and effective. But what we have to remember is that vaccinations allow us to obtain immunity without needing to be infected and hopefully surviving that infection. The only way to get immunity from infection is by surviving the infection. If I get vaccinated, my likelihood of being infected does not get impacted. However, the likelihood of that infection causing me to have an issue with my health gets reduced and allows me to survive the infection by having the immune system know what to do about that infection. Not only will vaccinations allow me to survive infections, it will also protect me against getting infections from those who choose not to get vaccinated against that infection. This is how we can start developing herd immunity. By increasing the amount of people who are immunized and vaccinated, survive the infections, or got vaccinated against the infections from allowing that infectious agent, that disease, to spread through the environment. If we get enough people to be vaccinated or immunized against a disease, the disease is unable to spread within the population and we have eradication of that disease. The herd immunity is typically set up at about 70 to 75% of the population being immunized, survived the infection, or vaccinated, gotten the vaccine against the infection, whereas eradication is typically set up at above 97% of the population being vaccinated or immunized. When we start having drops in that high 90%, the eradication that we had goes away. It's one of the things that we're seeing with the reduction in the willingness for individuals to get vaccinated or to vaccinate their children in which diseases that we thought had been eradicated are no longer eradicated. Fact 10. 
Drinking coffee will make you dehydrated. Actually, coffee or caffeinated drinks do not increase urine production or sweat production, the main ways in which you would lose water to cause dehydration, or make you any more dehydrated than drinking water all by itself. Coffee and caffeinated drinks may cause an increased micturation reflex, the reflex of releasing urine from the urine bladder, but it does not actually increase the volume being produced. And it's the volume being produced that is the indication of causing dehydration. Well, thanks for joining us for this very quick little look at 10 facts that aren't quite facts. Hopefully you got a little bit out of this. And remember, go ahead and click that like and click that subscribe button if you haven't done so already and share what we're doing with your friends and family and spread the spread the word about how we're hopefully helping you out with getting a little bit more information so you can go about living a healthier lifestyle and understand a little bit more about how your body works and how the human body works.